0: Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. You'll recognize my guest today from my Road to the Election series last season. But today I have her returning on the show for a one-on-one with me, comedian Dana Goldberg. Dana, thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, it's so good to see you again and that beautiful baby of yours and your Aww. beautiful family. I <laughs> follow you. you and adore you. Yes, it's Thank good to be back. You.
0: She's I can't believe she's going to be a year. It, It's what? Yeah, she's gonna be dri- she's gonna be driving. She will be driving, probably, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> it's crazy. But I measure like the pandemic by her age because I literally had her the week after, no, the week before the first uh, Los Angeles stay-at-home order was. Oh my God! Yeah, so that's how long this pandemic has been going on. Is my daughter is tracking the time for me? <laughs> you're,
1: you're like, how long I've been in pandemic? I've been in the pandemic baby years old. My baby years old. That's how long I've been in the pandemic.
0: Uh, literally though, it's wild. I've just, I'm so over it. I'm so over it. Done, done. And people are still starting to. I mean, they have been acting like it's not a thing anyway, but. They're really acting like it's not a thing anymore and it's driving me crazy like we're not out of this guys we're not
1: no and and i get it i get it and i get it we're getting my i want to go back to work i yeah. want to travel i want to yeah. perform in front of a live audience And I just wish people would hold on, don't act a fool, do what you need to do, even if you've been vaccinated, even if you've had it, wear a mask, social distance, just do your thing and we can actually get this under control so that the rest of us, because apparently some of these people are living their lives like it's never happened, but the rest of us can actually go back to some sort of life. I don't want to say normalcy because there's no normal anymore. This is a new normal. Everything's changed. Yeah.
0: And it's funny, every time they do come out with like some sort of a new mandate or new stay-at-home order, I'm like, it's just the same people that have been doing it that are going to be listening I to it and the ones that haven't been listening aren't going to listen. So you actually don't oh even have God. to say anything.
1: <laughs> When the, the, when the federal government, they were like, we're doing a federal mask mandate. You have to wear a mask in all public places. And I'm like, who the fuck wasn't wearing a mask in a public place? <laughs> like, so many
0: people, though. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh,
1: my God. It's wild.
0: But I do, I want to talk to you about how you know comedy has been. Virtually, Because I'm assuming you've probably Ugh. done virtual events. I know. And, I, you know, from a singing standpoint, it sucks. I hate it. I don't want to do another virtual event if, if I can help it. But that's just where we are. But how has that been for you? And
1: You know, this has been the most challenging year of my career by far. And I will say that. Um, I think it's been, and this is not taking away from musicians in any way. And you can tell me what you think. Because my experience has been that the transition has been a little bit easier. Because you, as a musician, can sing the same song fifty times, and everyone's like, "Sing, come to my window," because I love "Come to My Window," and I know all the words, and I'm going to sing with you in my my living room, and I'm going to have drinks and all this. And if I tell a joke five times, everyone's like, "We heard that one. We heard that that Thanksgiving. We heard that one." And so now I'm in a situation where when I do an online show. Everyone can come. You don't have to be in LA or you don't have to be in Cincinnati or you don't have to be in Dallas. And so when I do an online show and 500 people show up, it's amazing, but I can't do another show a month later with that same exact act because they've all heard it before. And there's sometimes I know people like certain jokes and they laugh like they've never heard them and it's great, but as a comedian, I'm also sitting in my living room talking to a screen with absolutely no feedback of live laughter going, I hope they're enjoying it. I'm like I don't know what you're doing in your living room. You could be washing your cat for all I know. I can't see you. I
0: did not think of it from that perspective in terms of material because you're right. For me, at least, with the events that I've done, I, you know, I'm either doing a longer show or I just pop on to like a charity event or whatever, sing two songs, and I can go and I can sing those same two right. songs for every charity event that I do. But yeah, from a material standpoint, I can imagine that you probably like. What the heck am I going to talk about now? Because People keep coming back because they're fans of you. Yeah, I completely understand. And when you're touring or performing, it's different because you are going to different cities. You know, you're going to have a different audience. You know, you're probably going to have a different demographic, but now literally the entire world can show up at the same time. That has to be it's difficult. trippy.
1: It is, because I mean, as comedians, and every comedian can attest to this, if we go on tour, let's say we're getting ready to film a comedy special or make an album, we can do the same set. We're actually honing that set so that when we do it when it's filmed, it's perfect or as close to perfect as possible. Um, and it's just it's a different situation now where you hope people want to come back, but when you're making a living through literally a tip jar right mm, now, yeah. like that's how we're surviving. Artists are surviving through tip jars through our Venmo, through our PayPals. And I'm so grateful for the fan base that's helped keep me literally lights on in my apartment over this last year. But people are tired, you mm. know, and they can only give so much. People have been affected by the pandemic financially themselves. Mm. Um, so it's been it's been humbling. It's been interesting. And I think most of us as artists have had to, to make that shift into this virtual world. And luckily, I've been able to do it. But this does not bring me as much joy as getting the energy from a live audience. It just doesn't. Of
0: course, because you're you're literally performing to a screen. Yeah,
1: myself. Like, and it's not even the screen. It's myself. Like, I'm looking at myself. It'd be different if I was looking at a screen picture of you (laughs) the whole time. That like made facial expressions. I am literally either looking at myself or just a very tiny camera hole. It is the strangest thing. Um,
0: Yeah, and you know, and it does make make me realize how much we are kind of fueled by those audience reactions because yeah I'll sing and then there's just silence <laughs> you know you expect <laughs> applause after a song and it's not that like oh b- applaud me when I'm performing but it, it it's interesting to know how much that does feed into what you give how you feel how you perform so For I sure. can only imagine from a comedian standpoint but do you think that this has kind of challenged you in terms of writing your material do you think that you've grown in any ways because you've been forced to kind of rework how you perform
1: i've definitely grown in ways um and i I have to say some it's been a little bit outside of stand-up so i've had an opportunity during this pandemic to learn how to write a pilot for a sitcom that i'm working on Mm. so that's where my growth has come that's where my growth has come um when it comes to like my toolbox of things that i can take into my career moving forward Mm -hmm. as a stand-up Over the last few years, I've somehow shifted into political comedy. I know we've known each other for a few years now, and it wasn't intentional. It's just something that happened. I've always had an activist heart, and so I've found ways to use my comedy and my activism to raise money for national organizations around the country and just try and bring some sanity to literally the insane last five years, five years. I know everyone keeps talking about four, but Trump was on (laughs) our national radar for a year before he was, I'm not even going to say elected, before whatever the hell that was. <laughs> um, so this is five years of craziness yeah. for, for us to get through. So for me, having grown as a standup, I think what I've realized is that my my fan base is stronger than I realized. My voice reaches farther than I realized, and my ability to make people laugh is more important then I realized, a lot of the, a lot of people have been looking to comedians during this time, during the pandemic, to bring them joy, yeah, which wow. is so interesting because we got to put our oxygen mask on first, or our our pandemic mask, as it might be, on first before we can help everyone else. But that's what people look to comedians for. So it's been this very weird balance of how can I keep myself sane, and then how can I help you stay sane? <laughs> it's it's been very interesting. So I think that, I, you know people on the outside looking in melinda would probably say i see your growth more than you do but i think that we always do that as entertainers because we see it from the inside out and we're always in that hustle and we're always trudging, and we're always in the muck, and then someone else is looking at your career going, man, look how successful she is, and I'm like, "What? What? what is she, what are they talking about? Yeah, yeah. Because and we, we never just, see it. We just had a we conversation
0: never about that. When, you know, you emailed me because I was like, I'm having a really crappy day, and I told you how I was feeling, and it's interesting yeah. getting the responses from people, though, not knowing, like, what our internal struggles are with art. Because I think there is a certain level with artistry that like, you kind of are never fully satisfied. You're you're fulfilled, but you're always looking for that next goal. And so I completely agree, you know, I know people look at my career and the things that I've created and they're like, oh, how did you do this? How did you do this? And I'm like, I seriously have no idea what I'm doing. And I like, there's so many things (laughs) that I want to accomplish that I look at other people and I'm like, I don't have that either. And I wish I had this And So yeah, I'm 100% in alignment with
1: People teach comedy classes I'm like, how do you – like if someone said, Dana, teach what you do, I would be like, uh, I'm not sure how I do what I do. It comes from a place that I'm not even sure I'm aware of. I have the utmost respect for people that can actually make money teaching people how to be funny because I – I don't know what I would say to someone, you know, it's really interesting. So (laughs) we just sort of cruise along. I think some people have the ability to to put it into words and other people are just coming from a place and I know you'll believe in this and I'm sure some of your listeners will, but it just comes from a higher power of when I'm doing what I'm doing, it's the energy is flowing through me from a place that I'm not even aware of. Yeah. Do you think
0: that all of this now you know, art and comedy, music, you know, whatever, it's been so easily accessible now because we've kind of needed this place to have an outlet, whether we're getting paid to do it or not. Do you think there's going to be a less, less of appreciation for art? Do you think people are going to appreciate it more, realizing that we actually were the ones saving people during this time? Because, you know, arts are always the first thing to leave in schools. You know, people say that, you know, artists aren't real jobs or whatever nonsense they want to spew out about what we do and being in the entertainment industry but i i'm i personally am hoping that people will have a greater appreciation for art But I'm, i want to know what you think
1: i absolutely agree with you uh, sweetheart i do i think i think the people that have always appreciated art are going to push that up exponentially um i think that some of the people that didn't realize um how hard it is to be an artist out Mm -hmm. there are going to appreciate it more. But the thing is, I think, live art, uh, comedy shows, concerts, things like that, once we're allowed to get into a public space with more than 10 people, um, Mm -hmm. I think people are really going to enjoy that again and appreciate it again and possibly pay, pay pay higher ticket prices to be in that environment again, because you have to remember that even though this is what people have gotten used to, I'm not going to be doing virtual shows when I can perform live again. Mm-hmm. You know, so people aren't going to be as, it's not going to be as easy to just jump on your computer and, and sign on to a, a Zoom show right. to see a bunch of comedians. We want to be back in the clubs. Mm-hmm. We want to be in front of live. I want to be able to sell tickets that people can meet and greets are going to be fun fucking weird I mean let's be honest I'm gonna be like fist bumping people like, instead of like stay away oh. from me, <laughs> yeah I'm like can you have your friend photoshop us closer because I'm not touching you Yeah. <laughs> you know so those are the things that I think are going to be a little bit different like the closeness we have with our fans but eventually I'll have a vaccine eventually I'll feel safe for being out there um, and until then, I, I really do believe, especially in places like Los Angeles and New York, and they're in you know Chicago, the the big art cities where mm-hmm. there's a lot of live performances. I know New York is jonesing for Broadway to open back up, and I think it's going to be hugely successful. Yeah. Um, I know in Los Angeles the same thing when it comes to live shows, whether it's comedy or music or you know even a museum. I don't feel comfortable being in an inside space right now mm-hmm. where there's people walking around. Not when you get news. Every other day that this variant that and this variant this, and I'm like, oh my God, apparently we're making our own variants of this damn virus now. Like in California, like we have a special one for California. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. fuck off. New York right. has their own variant. <laughs> I'm like, uh-uh.
0: H-uh. I know it is everyday thing, and I, I feel like I read that article about the California variant. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just staying home more. Which is fine i've actually discovered about myself that i'm not i don't have an issue staying home i really really don't (laughs) i'm like perfectly fine with it
1: (laughs) there's a lot of introverts oh no no oh me i'm dying i miss hugging people i'm missing my friends i miss traveling but i know a bunch of introverts that are like i have been planning for this my entire (laughs) life like i have been preparing for this moment Yeah. And not me. I, um, cannot wait to get back out there. Um, just for so many reasons. I, I thrive on it. I, I'm one of those, um, I think what they call introverted extroverts where I thrive on like the public shows, but I recover alone. Like I need my alone time. I need that quiet space. I need my mornings where I make my tea and I have Mm -hmm. that quiet beginning to a day. And um, I, I, that's how I refuel, but yeah. I also need to be out there and feel the energy of my yeah. people. No, I, I miss it too. terribly. I feel yeah. that too. I feel yeah. I feel like that as well.
0: So you mentioned yeah. though, in the last five years, you've shifted into political comedy. What was your comedy like before?
1: That's interesting. I, I, when I say it was the last five years, I've been doing this for 2003, 18 years, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look back at some of my shows And it's just, you know, that was it was very like relationship stuff and family stuff and and things like that. And I think when I started getting more political was definitely I remember shows around the Sarah Palin years, Mm. you know, where she came onto the scene and everything just got nutty.
0: I try not to use the word crazy because,
1: yeah, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, the jokes just kept on coming. I mean, that was good Saturday Night nine years with, like, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And, you know, those were—that was a good time for, for for comedy, a terrible time for the country, but a really good time for comedy. Um, but at the same time, I mean, thank God McCain didn't win that election probably because of sarah palin I'm, i would uh, bet
0: a lot of money that's because <laughs> of her <laughs> yeah.
1: i mean when you get a president and you're like they they joke about it but one heartbeat away the vp is going to be in there they're talking about it now with biden you yeah. know it is a conversation yeah. that needs to be had but with mccain everyone was like wait a minute if something happens to him that's what we're re- with." i don't think so nope absolutely not <gasps>
0: That was a wild time. And I, for me, I think that's when I started getting involved in politics and really paying attention because, you know, before, I mean, I was probably younger, didn't really know anything, but then I was like, hold up, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) These people are representing our country, are representing us as humans, and this is what the entire world's seeing. And I think that's when I started to kind of get embarrassed by some of the representatives that we have you know and absolutely I you know I mean I, you're just as vocal as I am on Twitter but have you ever found that like speaking out about politicians or speaking out against you know certain people in in political positions has ever affected you negatively like in terms of your fan oh. base or
1: Oh, for sure. Fan base, I do have people that are like, can you just be funny? Why do you have to be political? And I'm like, why does it have to be mutually exclusive? Mm -hmm. Like, if you will just allow yourself to be in the space where we're not so... I mean, in both parties do this, where we're so tied to these idols and these ideologies, where these are somehow the messiah for each party, which is just bullshit. Right. And I think one party is worse about that. I, I definitely think the Republicans definitely put their... People up on this pedestal, you know, whether it's Donald or, you know, Bush or anyone else, where they can do no wrong. And even if they do wrong, we're going to pretend they did no wrong. And I think Democrats and progressives are much better about holding our own accountable when they do something, where especially you can see this movement happening now with progressives running against old school Democrats that maybe they're tired of the policies or these Democrats don't believe in a $15 minimum wage or they don't believe in the, you know, some of these things that progressives are really pushing. Um, so you've got people like AOC, they're ousting long-term Democrats that have just been sort of riding this wave of their name, and sometimes they don't even live in the places where their constituents do, and they're, they're getting people out of office that are need to, you know. I live in California. You know, die-fi. I, I, she's she's had a good run. She's had a good run, but but I'm okay getting another (laughs) senator in there that's a little bit younger and has some different ideas and isn't going to hug Lindsey Graham after they tried to, you know, I just, after they tried to overthrow the government, I just can't do it. Yeah. You know, so that's the frustration there. But
0: I was going to comment about when you said the Democrats are more likely to hold people accountable and Republicans, you know, kind of. (laughs) <laughs> just look the other way when, when people make mistakes. And I think that kind of comes into just the fact that Republicans have tethered themselves to Christianity, but in the wrong way for, and sure. for, for me, I, you know, I've been a, a very progressive liberal Christian my whole life. So I was always very shocked when I heard conservative ideals. I'm like, are we reading the same Bible? But <laughs> I think the problem <laughs> is, is that they get into this mindset and they really misinterpret a lot of Jesus's words about forgiveness. And they think that like, you can do, As long as you apologize for it or you repent, like you can basically do whatever you want. And I think that when it comes to people like Donald Trump, when it comes to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, when it comes to people Mm. like Ted Cruz, they think that all they have to do is apologize to their God if they did something wrong and then it's fine. And so then they don't understand when they're being called out about it publicly because they don't know what accountability is because they've never been taught that. They've just been taught they'll be forgiven if they do something wrong
1: or you'll pay for it in the next life, which right. they don't really care about because they don't necessarily believe in that. Right. Right. No, it's, I agree with ooh. you. It, that is an interesting, that is very interesting theory. And I think you're right. And don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot of very um, God-loving Democrats and progressives that believe sure. in a higher power, but it's different. It is it not is. this cult-like religious thing where, like you said, they feel like it's an excuse for their bad behavior on this earth. Right. I feel like sometimes Democrats and progressives prescribe more to that almost in the Jewish faith of an eye for an eye, like you're Mm going to pay for it now and we're going to make you pay for it now. If you're going to sit now, you're paying for it now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think sometimes that's been taken to an extreme. Um, And I'll just say, for instance, Al Franken, uh, I don't necessarily think he should have been pushed out of office. I'm not saying what he did was right. But I think that sometimes we try and make an example of our own and we choose the wrong people. And it doesn't benefit us. (laughs) It does not benefit us when we're like, oh, we'll show you that we hold them responsible. And I'm like, oh, that was your choice. God, we just really blew that one.
0: But in terms of cancel culture versus accountability, I do think that there is a difference. I do. And I've been having these conversations a lot lately. I think that some people deserve to be canceled. And I think there are a ton, a long list of unforgivable offenses. I absolutely do. But I think that the problem that I have had with canceling some people and even canceling some of our own is that there really is never any grace and there's no room for growth or education or learning. And I think that when we cancel people, there's actually no end game. Like, okay, we're canceling them in this moment, but like, don't we want people to learn from their mistakes? Don't we want them to do better? So if we're just lifting them out of the situation, then what's what's the goal? You
1: know, hundred percent, absolutely, I agree with you. I think one of the funniest things is that the Republicans and the right are screaming about cancel culture when they're the ones that are literally trying to cancel their own party when they <laughs> disagree with them. Like, they are Jen Jordan is screaming about cancel culture when they literally just voted to get Liz Cheney out of her. Out of her committee, and the way that they because, treat him because,
0: it. Romney and like everybody. That exactly. Like, oh my gosh.
1: You want to talk about cancel culture? <laughs> the Dixie Chicks. Oh my god, that's when this shit started. Right. right, You know, when they spoke she spoke out about George Bush and all she said was not proud to be not proud that he's our president, and it embarrassed that he's from the great state of Texas, and their career was destroyed over that. If they said that now, nothing. There wouldn't even be a blink of an eye unless they were Democrats. But Republicans can say shit like that all the time. I mean, the stuff that Marjorie Taylor Greene is getting away with publicly is mind-blowing. Her transphobia. Her homophobia, her uh, harassing and stalking gun survivors, like gun victim survivors, I, it's just I, mind blowing to me. And you and I spoke about it briefly off air, but the, the fact that these people are running unopposed, I will tell you right now if you're listening to this podcast, please, if you have any inclination to run for public office, but you're like, oh, maybe I'm not qualified, look at the Congress. Yeah. You're fucking qualified. <laughs>
0: I mean, look at their (laughs) last president. You're
1: qualified. Seriously, you're qualified. If that's the bar we're at, you're good. If you have a pulse, you haven't committed any (laughs) crimes, like, just go for it. Not if you have a pulse. (laughs) <laughs> My God, which is so crazy though,
0: because the message that it sends is like there's two sides. It's like you don't have to be qualified to do anything to to reach the highest office. But then I feel like you could spin the story saying like you know, if you just work hard, you can do anything you want. It's like that's not really what this message is sending. That's... but you know that that's the kind of message <sighs> that they're gonna say.
1: Of course. It's like when the American dream turns into the American nightmare. Donald Trump is not the American dream. This is not someone, if he works hard enough, can reach the highest office in the land. He was literally created by Mark, Bar- Mike, Mark Barnett as the apprentice. That's the only reason he was elected, or that people—I still think that he stole this election— but that people voted for him as they thought he was some great businessman. All of this was bullshit smoke and mirrors, mm-hmm. and half of the country, half of the voting population— because it's not half the country. Because unfortunately, the entire country doesn't vote, but half of the voting population fell for it in the last election. Yeah. And thank God, it was still a disgusting amount—70 million people. A disgusting amount of people that apparently, misogyny, transphobia, sexual uh, predation, um, sex, being a sexual predator, mm-hmm. uh, bigotry, racism, white—all of that wasn't were deal breakers, not which is breaker just mind blowing to me.
0: But a, but abortion.
1: Oh yeah. That's, oh
0: yeah. I mean, that's the when only they, <laughs> argument.
1: <laughs> there, there was an there was an announcement at the CPAC convention, which to me sounds like a CPAC machine. I feel like that, that's all I think of when I'm like a CPAC. That's exactly what it sounds like to me. But um, when they canceled a, a young Pharaoh, I think it was because of the anti-Semitic comments, and it's really funny because like this whole CPAC convention is like the anti-cancel culture, and then they canceled somebody for oh, their my their gosh. beliefs. But it's just like these – like th- all of this stuff that's th- – these people that are perpetuating all of this bullshit and, and giving these um, these lunatics a platform, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. It absolutely really mind-boggling. Is. It really
0: is. And I feel like even after this, you know, last election, well, the last five years, as, y- as you mentioned, it really has been five years, Ted Cruz, what's his name, Josh Hawley, whoever these oh. – Marjorie Taylor Greene. I do not think that the constituents are going to ever realize like these people, Mitch McConnell, they don't care about you.
1: No, they don't. It breaks my
0: heart because I don't understand. Like at at base, I do feel like on both sides, we could all say we want to be able to provide for our families. We, you know, want to be successful in some way. Like there are certain core things that I think everybody could pretty, for the most part, agree on. Sure. Why do you think that these people represent what you want for your life? I can't, I've been trying so hard to understand and find the answer and I don't get it. You have Ted Cruz going to Cancun when literally, and this is (laughs) literally people are freezing to death. I think 37 people died, Uh, didn't they? Yeah, about 37 people died in Texas. People are literally freezing to death and you have the audacity to go to
1: Mexico and then lie about it and it's then funny. throw your children under the bus <laughs> then the neighbor puts out the text message chain because they think you're a big enough piece of shit that they're gonna throw you under the bus he didn't the even throw them. Was he, like, he just like he chucked his children he was under driving the bus. the bus he was driving the bus he was like kids get under it Vroom. like it's I, if that was my dad i would have been so pissed Uh, Well, one, if that was my dad, I'd be horrified anyway. It was funny because people keep people were tweeting before we knew that the story was confirmed. People were like, is this Ted Cruz? Is this Ted Cruz? Is Ted Cruz going to to Cancun? And I'm like, if that's not Ted Cruz, I feel really bad for the person who has to go through their entire life looking exactly like (laughs) Ted Cruz. (laughs)
0: could you imagine though if it wasn't him and he's like yeah i know i i look just like him
1: no i would, I would be like shave the beard do something else you even have his insurrection mullet like just change your haircut uh, I'm i am not
0: <laughs>
1: i can't the thought of that is so
0: funny but I, oh. I just don't know what would have to happen for people to realize that these specific there are specific politicians that do not care about you. Now, I I have loved seeing there are small, you know, a small number of Republicans step up. I really gained yeah. a lot of respect from Mitt Romney in the last couple of years. He was like, no, this is wrong. He's a politician. I'm yeah. sure there are policies of his that I don't agree with, but like if it came down no, to it and like tons, you know, but if it came down yeah. to it, like I clearly would have been fine with him over Trump.
1: You know what I mean? Absolutely. If it was Donald running for Mitt Romney, I would vote for a Republican right. <laughs> for the first time in my life, and it would be Mitt Romney. Right, right. Like, if those were our choices, and there was no Democrat for some weird reason running, yeah. or Mitt Romney changed parties all of a sudden, uh, Mitt Romney would get my vote, but... Yeah you know, I agree with you. I do think that's, I mean, I was so fucking mad at the the, the country making me ch- cheer for Liz Cheney. Yeah. This is a woman who threw her sister under the her gay sister under the bus during yeah. marriage equality, mm-hmm. threw her under the bus just so she could get elected. And I, you guys are making me cheer for her yeah. because <laughs> she's going up against Matt Gates. Like this is a problem. You're like uh, I'm so
0: conflicted right now. She did oh the right thing, God. though. She but did. it's one of she yeah,
1: she, she did. did. I yeah. mean, her dad is an evil, which we all <laughs> know. Which Ooh, we all know. Yeah. But it's
0: so yeah. funny. I think somebody said they didn't think that they would see somebody more evil than Dick Cheney. But then you know we have Mitch McConnell. <laughs> and,
1: Mitch McConnell yeah. knows exactly what he's doing too. That's what pisses me off. One hundred percent.
0: I was. I was screaming at the TV. I was so upset. My husband wouldn't even watch it because he was so angry, but he said the exact same thing. He's like, He knows exactly what he's doing. He planned this. Yeah. He planned to vote to to not convict. And then he planned to give that speech.
1: Uh, he he, he, thinks he, he delayed the hearing. He's the one who delayed the fucking. Yeah. Oh, he does, and I hate to say this because he keeps getting reelected in his own state. Although I don't necessarily trust the last election in Kentucky or South Carolina, and mm. I would like for them to be audited, but they're not going to be. But he keeps getting reelected. Yeah. So of course he's going to keep doing what he's doing. He 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 is pockets are so deep in Kentucky. Mm. It is so unfortunate that a, that man is going to have to retire. And he's going to have to retire before he's actually voted out, which is just so damn frustrating. Because if yeah. the people of Kentucky knew what they could actually get, if we had a Stacey Abrams coalition in these states yeah. where they knew, and this is what she's. She went knocking on doors, and I don't know if you saw this interview, but she said, listen, I didn't tell people if you vote for this person, things are going to change. What I told them is if you don't vote, your circumstances will stay this way because Mm. the people that are in office are doing nothing for you. So can I guarantee if you vote for this other person that everything's going to change? No, but I can guarantee you if you don't vote, nothing Nothing. will. Yeah. Yeah. because it was people that hadn't voted before because they felt like it didn't matter, you know, and getting all of these new voters and, you know, and I I hope that we, we can't look to Stacey to save this country, but there are people like her in each state that if they would get this coalition together, we can flip Texas back to blue. You know, Texas was purple for a very, very long time, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: in speaking of people not voting, I've, Found it interesting, but also not very surprising that I think they said eighty percent of the people that stormed the Capitol
1: didn't even vote. Not surprising at all. So what? What the hell were you fighting for? <laughs> they, they well, they didn't vote because the, their leader. Told them that their vote wasn't, you know, don't vote by, don't vote by mail, it won't count, which backfired on him. And uh, you know, in Georgia, don't vote because uh, in, the the machines are broken, which backfired on him. So when you have your president, your president telling you, if you vote by machine, it doesn't work, and if you vote by mail, it doesn't work, there's a lot of people that are not going to go out and vote. Yeah. Then they're going to be upset, and they're going to over try and overthrow a government that they think are the reason that their vote is not counting and that it was stolen from them. I mean, the other thing that's scary about that the statistic that you just said is that one in five, I think it was one in five people were armed services yeah. they, or they were or were or used to be in the military. Yeah. And that to me is a direct reflection. And this is, could be a bigger conversation, but this is a direct reflection of how we do not take care of our veterans. And let yeah. me explain what I'm saying. When people are off to war, you were in the services and you come home, and you don't have a country that's going to give you the military benefits that you deserve or pay for your college education anymore, or they don't honor the GI Bill anymore, or they don't take care of you when you've had so much mental and physical trauma, it makes sense that when a group of white supremacists come to you and say, hey, brother, we got your back. Just Mm -hmm. walk with us. We will take care of you. We see you. We understand your pain. We understand everything. We got your back, brother. Walk with us. That's not surprising that a lot of ex-military become part of these Proud Boys and these Oath Keepers because they feel like they are actually making a difference again, and they have their brothers beside them. It does wow. not surprise me. It doesn't I, surprise
0: me. I haven't me. heard that angle, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: that's yeah. it's sad. It is it's sad. We need to take care of the people that protect our country. Yeah, we just we just need to. So. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Um,
0: So looking at the current administration, you know, what have you, you know, we're not at 100 days yet, but what have you been pleased with that you've seen? And what do you really hope they, you know, focus on, at least in the first year?
1: And I am glad you asked me this because I'm going to ask you the same question because I'm coming from a place of privilege when I talk about this. Even though I am a lesbian, I'm a Jew and I'm a woman, I'm a white cis woman. Mm -hmm. And so when I answer this, please know that it's coming from this place. And then I want to know how you feel because you have a very different view. Um, I am grateful that the Biden-Harris administration has uh, fixed the discrimination, not all of it, but the LGBTQ discrimination in the workplace, even though the Supreme Court ruled on it. It was not being um, put into effect by the Trump administration that you cannot discriminate in the workplace, that they made them put that into effect. I am grateful that after a year of lying to the general public about this virus and about its impact and about the deaths that we actually have an administration that is doing their damnedest to make sure that vaccines get out, to make sure that testing is done, to make sure that it's reaching the most vulnerable communities, the black and brown communities that have been overwhelmingly affected by the coronavirus. I do believe the administration is doing a hell of a job with that. You have to remember, we didn't start from zero. We started from six feet under. And they're just trying to get back to level. They're just trying to get back to starting at zero, you know? So very happy about that. I'm happy about the um, Paris Climate Agreement. I think that climate change and the climate crisis is one of the biggest things that affects us. And also... It leads in, in when, it, when I say affects us, it's not just the planet. It is seeped into systematic racism in our country and, and the black and brown communities that don't have clean water, that don't have the places to live and the air to breathe and the things that they need. All of this trickles down into the inequities in our country. So I'm, I'm very glad that they got back into that. Um, the for-profit prisons, canceling those contracts, I think it was one of the best things that he could have done. I know he was going to piss off a lot of people. Our prison system should not be for profit. That's why the beds are being filled by, again, black and brown people that are committing crimes that a white person would never go to jail for, nor should anyone be going to jail for, meaning like you've got an ounce of pot on you. You know, what if we decriminalize marijuana? This would not be a problem. So I am very grateful for that decision. And that's just— you know, four or five of them I can think of off the top of my head. I no, think the quali- the
0: great. Yeah. Like, I completely so, agree with those things.
1: What say. would you like to see different? Like as a person of color, a woman of color, what do you feel like you would have liked more focus on?
0: I still think we haven't addressed the police brutality issue. And while we haven't had any viral situations, and I hate saying that, it is still an issue. Absolutely. It's still an issue with um, how cops are trained. It's still an issue with the amount of education that cops need to have. It's still an issue with the amount of money that is in police. I think we need to talk about, I hate Defend the Police, the title.
1: Oh, it's awful. Like, I
0: absolutely hate it. And, you know, just thinking of it from like a branding marketing standpoint i'm like come on can we think of something so the people don't think that that's what it actually is because i hate when you have to do <laughs> this sounds lazy but i hate when you have to do research about uh something you know yeah. what i mean yeah I will anyway, because I like to stay educated, but the average person isn't going to look up, oh, what does Defund the Police really stand for? You know, they right. say Defund the Police and that's what they think it is. So I do want the things that are kind of under the umbrella of Defund the Police to come more to the forefront because they are things that need to be addressed. I think it was Colorado that did like a six-month test where they- actually implemented the things that defund police wanted where they sent, you know, mental health advocates, they sent mm-hmm. you know, um, psychologists, they sent family therapists to deal with certain situations and not police. And they said it was just a complete success. And I want to see that rolled out across the country, because that would make such a huge difference. Now, granted, please piss me off. I don't think all cops are bad, but I think you, a lot of them are, (laughs) but I do think (laughs) that they are overworked. I do think that they are um, not trained. Um, I don't think they're culturally sensitive. And I think that that's something that we need to focus on. But I, And again, I'm not siding with cops because I do think they're overworked, but I do think they're overworked. But I think that if we focus on bringing in those correct professionals to deal with people Mm -hmm. that have mental health issues, to deal with people that are autistic, to deal with, you know, um, uh, family issues, just things that cops don't need to be dealing with. We would have so many less situations where we're doing a hashtag where somebody's trending on Twitter, you know, so that I really do want to see that focused on a little bit more. The other thing that I was kind of bothered by was the student loan situation. Um, I, I get why people are like, well, you know, why should they cancel? I get it. However, look at the plus side of why canceling student loan debt would be such a positive it would help the economy. It would help. Close the the racial wealth gap for Black and Brown 100%. people because majority of people that are in debt from student loans are Black and Brown people because mm-hmm. we don't you know we didn't grow up with the privilege of having our parents be able to pay for that education and so we go into debt trying to get ahead and then we just can never get ahead. So I was a little disappointed that he went from 50 to 10, but I, I would hope maybe they'll come in the middle and like say 25. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that yeah. that would be like a good number. So those are the two issues for me right now that I really want to focus on. But I love the for pro- for, uh, for-profit prison contracts being canceled. I absolutely gave him applause for that because I think it was a huge and a crucial step. It needed to happen. Um, And I think that what they're doing with the vaccine rollout and in the pandemic in general has been great because they literally walked in with nothing, and like you said, they were sixteen yeah. under. They walked in with nothing. Trump did not have a vaccine rollout plan. How dare you? How dare you? Like, really, that is so frustrating to me. And that's the other thing. When you look back at it, and these people that are still on the Trump train, like the train has crashed. The train is crashed. It is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. You're still on this Trump train. The man had no plan.
1: <laughs> they're on. They're on the Trump train because they're on, they, they can't fly. They're all on a no fly list now. So the only thing they can take <laughs> is the Trump train. <laughs>
0: Literally though. No. But the man had no plan to help get this country yeah. back on track. I mean, we saw that. We've seen it for the last year. He never had a plan. He
1: doesn't he didn't care.
0: Nope. Nope. He didn't care at all whatsoever. And and that's so frustrating, but people do not want to see it. And, you know, there was a thread on Facebook that somebody was like, you know, why isn't Biden sending help to Texas? And then my friend posted uh, a post that he had, you know, approved, you know, FEMA aid. And they were like, you didn't just Google this. (laughs) You know,
1: but it's really not simple. Some stuff you can just Google.
0: It's free. That's the thing. Google is free. Uh, That is like my favorite saying. Google is free and people don't want to do it. They're just lazy because they want to be upset about something because they actually don't want to learn the truth that they're... You know, this administration is probably going to be a lot better than the last one.
1: I mean, it's it, it, it's absolutely going to be. I, mean, I don't <laughs> think there's any any. I, I don't think there's any comparison there. That last administration wasn't an administration; it was a crime ring. Right. You know, so I don't know. It was just literally four years of a blip that I feel like in history books it's going to be like Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, four blank pages well you know biden it's like we
0: don't talk about these four years we don't that's talk what about it's gonna it. Say. We don't talk about it.
1: yep moving on no, keep it moving keep it moving keep it, mo- keep it moving
0: <laughs> well before we wrap up i'd love to know two things from you one what do you think is the most important thing that you learned about yourself in the last year and two what are you going to take from that lesson to apply as we come out of the pandemic
1: mm. Um, to quote the amazing Glennon Doyle, uh, we can do hard things. I -hmm. can do hard things. Um, I think what I realized when the pandemic hit as an artist, and you'll understand this, there's so much of our personal life, you know, everyone's like, you're not your job. You're not your job. Well, when you are an artist, you are your career. Like, because so much of who you are is wrapped up in the art you put out to this world is a direct reflection of what's inside you. And so what I learned about myself is that my worth as a person, just a person on this planet, um, exists outside of my career. Um, I reach more people, obviously, through what I do. But that doesn't mean if I'm not doing what I'm doing, I'm worth anything less than when I am raising millions of dollars for organizations. Um, and I think what I realized too, is that you never know when this is going to fucking happen again, Melinda. I mean, I hate to say this. None of us expected this. And so what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to write a pilot? Do you want to make a a record? Do you want to write a book? Do you want to do a podcast? What do you really want to do with your life? And do it. And just do it. And so, you know, money, trust me, is important so that we can pay our bills and we can do our thing. And that last year was scary. And this year is scary. Um, But I know that it will start coming back as work comes in, hopefully. And, you know, I get vaccinated. And so just to take it into, of like, how do I want to spend my days? Who do I want to be around? That's a yeah, big thing. Who yeah. do I want to be around? Who is going yeah. to fuel my energy? And I'm not talking about my fan base. I'm talking friends and family and the people you have intimate relationships with, not physically, emotionally, anything. Who do you want to give your time to? Yeah, yeah. Because I realized I was saying yes to everything before the pandemic. And even during a little bit because of that fear base of like, oh, I need to, I need to stay relevant. I need to keep my name at the top of the list. Yes, I'll do this for free. Yes, I'll come on and give 10 minutes. Yes, I'll do this virtually. Yeah. And as I carry outside of it, I need to learn how to say yes to the things that I believe in and that are important to me. And say no to some things so that I can say yes to myself. And I know that sounds so self helpy but it's true. Otherwise, we are going to be spread thin yeah. and we're going to be tired and we're not going to recover because this was a hard time two years and it will probably be two years by the time this is done. Agreed, so agreed.
0: yeah beautiful lessons well Dana it is always a pleasure chatting with you so thank always. you for coming
1: and <laughs> I, I, love- I mean I know the listeners don't get to I get to see your beautiful face for Aww. the entire 45 minutes we're <laughs> yeah. for talking and I just feel so connected to you so thank you for inviting me back on uh, I, I love being a guest on your podcast it's thank fantastic you. and and thanks for the yeah give me the platform to spew some of my some of my life lessons
0: <laughs> well let the listeners know where they can follow you and keep up with your career as Wow.
1: Uh, if you're on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, it's all the same. It's DG Comedy, and I'd love if you follow me on any of those. If for some reason you're on the Stereo app, it is a free app. I do a live show every Thursday at 5 p.m. with Allison Gill from the Daily Beans. And so if you're on the Stereo app, follow me at DG Comedy. And, um, yeah, I'll hopefully soon I'll have some dates on my website, which is danagoldberg.com. It needs to be updated. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I'll get on it. I'll get on it knowing that hopefully people are going to start visiting it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for that.
0: Absolutely. Of course. Great to have you. And we'll definitely have you back again. And to the listeners, thanks for listening. Yes. Make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk. And if you want to join the Patreon community, go to patreon.com slash Hill. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.